0: gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This past fall, my son Finn acted in a play called Antigone Now which was put on by the theater department at Upper Dublin High School. Uh, Written by Melissa Cooper in 2003, the play is based on the ancient play Antigone, written by the Greek playwright Sophocles, somewhere around 440 BCE. In both modern and ancient versions of the play, they meditate on the relationship between judgment and mercy. Antigone now takes place in the midst of a contemporary bombed-out city, still feeling the aftershocks of war. The rebellious and intense Antigone defies her uncle, Creon the king, by bearing her disgraced brother against his orders. And so Creon must decide whether to uphold his decree that such action shall be punishable by death or to show mercy to his niece. Since the original play was written about 2,400 years ago, I probably don't need to worry about spoilers at this point. So the upshot of the play is that Creon chooses judgment and Antigone is killed. After the play, I asked Finn, so do you think it's better to be just or merciful? And he said, what? What do you mean? And I said, that was the whole point of the play, the philosophical question, justice or mercy." And he had spent hours and hours, weeks upon weeks, after school and Saturdays, helping to put this play together, and apparently this main question had never surfaced for the entire troupe. They were so close to the details of the story that they missed the bigger picture, the bigger question. This question of judgment and mercy had been something humankind has explored for millennia through literature, the arts, and Holy Scripture. And the story of Joseph and his brothers is just such a story from the book of Genesis, the oldest parts of which date from around 3,000 years ago. To understand this moment between Joseph and his brothers, you have to go back eight chapters, back to when Joseph was just 17 years old. Joseph was the youngest of the 12 sons of Jacob, and it was well known among his brothers that he was his father's favorite. His father gave him a coat of many colors— also known as Joseph's Technicolor, amazing technicolor dream coat. And Joseph had the gift of seeing in the future in his dreams, and he recounted to his brothers how he saw them in dream after dream, bowing down to him. The brothers seethed with anger, and they had had enough. And so first they conspired to kill him, but then decide against it. But then they strip him of his robe and throw him in a pit, and then sell him to a caravan of traders on their way to Egypt for 20 pieces of silver. Then the brother slaughtered a goat, dipped the coat of many colors in the blood, and took it to his father, who surmised that a wild animal had killed his favorite son. He was inconsolable. Meanwhile, in Egypt, Joseph was sold into servitude to a man named Potiphar, a captain in the Pharaoh's guard. God was with Joseph, and he rose from servant to overseer of the household. But while Potiphar was away, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, but he refused, and then she turned around and accused him of trying to seduce her, and Joseph was thrown into prison for more than two years. Then Pharaoh started having strange dreams, and as Joseph was known as an interpreter of James, the Pharaoh called for him, and Joseph foretold that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And Joseph rose to become the second in command of all of Egypt, only behind Pharaoh, and oversaw the preparations for the coming famine. When famine struck, Jacob sent his remaining sons, Joseph's brothers, to Egypt to buy food. And while Joseph recognized them, they did not recognize him. And so here in this passage today, he finally reveals himself. And we can imagine what Joseph could have been feeling. His brothers nearly killed him, They sold him into slavery. He was in an Egyptian prison for more than two years. And now he was the second most powerful person in Egypt, the most powerful empire in the Middle East. He could have been angry, bitter, and vengeful. With the power at his disposal, he could have done all the same things to them that they did to him. Slavery, prison, even death. And they knew it because when he revealed himself, It says they were dismayed by his presence, which is a vast understatement, if ever there was one. They wondered, what would he do? Would he choose judgment or mercy? What would you do in that situation? Have you ever experienced something like that before? Have you been the person that was wronged or the person that committed the wrong? How did you feel? What did you want to do? What would you have done if you could have gotten away with it? Did you choose judgment or did you choose mercy? Here in this moment, Joseph says something unexpected and remarkable to his brothers. He says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God has sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve a remnant on earth And to keep alive for you many survivors. Joseph saw that God had used their actions to save God's chosen people. And Joseph tells them, You will live near me, your children and your children's children, all of your families and your flocks. And Pharaoh promised them the best land in all of Egypt. And Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. Joseph chose mercy. Joseph was merciful just as God is merciful. He chose to see how God was at work, even giving everything that had happened to him, what his brothers intended for evil, God used for good. The story of Joseph's, the story of Joseph is a good way to enter into Jesus' teaching about loving our enemies, which is a hard thing. How do we love an enemy? Someone who has done terrible things, who has done us wrong, or wishes our suffering, or even death. Someone who would harm our family, who stands diametrically opposed to the things that we would stand for. What would that look like? What would that mean? I remember when I was on internship in 2003, and it was the eve of the invasion of Iraq. And in the weeks leading up to it, the pastor of the church, my supervisor, continually prayed for Saddam Hussein. On every Sunday morning and during the week when we spoke our prayers uh, and had prayer requests at meetings and gatherings, he prayed for Saddam, who, as you may remember, was not a good person, who waged war on Iran for 10 years, who invaded Kuwait, who was horrific to his own people, and we were told at the time wielded weapons of mass destruction. And so we prayed and prayed for Saddam. And I remember that vividly almost 20 years later, that we didn't pray for anything in particular, though in my mind it was to change Saddam's mind in order not to go to war, but we named him before God. And it taught me a valuable lesson about loving one's enemy. That is, at the very least, we can be willing to lift that person up to God, trusting that God could do something that we could not ask. Or imagine. The thing that resonates with me most in our gospel this morning is Jesus' call to mercy, to be merciful even as God is merciful. Maybe because somehow showing mercy feels a little bit more tangible, maybe a little more doable. The defin- definition of mercy includes compassionate or kindly forbearance shown toward an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. Compassion, pity, or benevolence, an act of kindness, compassion, or favor. It can also be something that gives evidence of divine favor or blessing. Compassion, kindness, forbearance, pity, empathy, benevolence, these are things that feel possible. These are things like turning the other cheek that do not feed cycles of violence, hate, anger, bitterness, and vengeance, but heal them with love. Maybe some of you have had the opportunity to read a book by Brian Stevenson called Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption, or watch the movie based on it starring Michael B. Jordan. Brian Stevenson founded the Equal Justice Initiative in 1989, and it's a nonprofit dedicated to helping the poor, the incarcerated, and condemned. They provide legal assistance to innocent death row prisoners, confront abuse of the incarcerated and the mentally ill, and eight children prosecuted as adults. And the book tells the story of their work, and it has some beautiful reflections on mercy and what it means to be merciful. And in the book, Stevenson says this. He says, We are all broken by something. We ought, we, we, let me start again. We are all broken by something. We have all hurt someone and have been hurt. We all share the condition of brokenness even if our brokenness is not equivalent. Paul Farmer, the renowned physician who has spent his life trying to cure the world's sickest and poorest people, once quoted me something that the writer Thomas Merton said, We are bodies of broken bones. I guess I'd always known but never fully considered that being broken is what makes us human. We all have our reasons. Sometimes we're fractured by the choices we make. Sometimes we're shattered by things we would have never chosen. But our brokenness is also the source of our common humanity, the basis for our shared search for comfort, meaning, and healing. Our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. We have a choice. We can embrace our humanness, which means embracing our broken natures, and the compassion that remains our best hope for healing. Or we can deny our brokenness, forswear compassion, and as a a result, deny our own humanity. So many of us have become afraid and angry. We become so fearful and vengeful that we've thrown away children, discarded the disabled, and sanctioned the imprisonment of the sick and the weak, not because they are a threat to public safety or beyond rehabilitation, but because we think it makes us seem tough, less broken." We've submitted to the harsh instinct to crush those among us whose brokenness is most visible. But simply punishing the broken, walking away from them, or hiding them from sight, only ensures that they remain broken, and we do too. There is no wholeness outside of our reciprocal humanity. He says, There is a strength, a power even, in understanding brokenness, because embracing our brokenness creates a desire for mercy and perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You see things you can't otherwise see. You hear things you can't otherwise hear. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. The power of just mercy is that it belongs to the undeserving. It's when mercy is least expected that it's most potent, like Joseph and his brothers strong enough to break the cycle of victimization and victimhood, retribution and suffering. It has the power to heal the psychic harm and injuries that lead to aggression and violence and abuses of power. Mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it is directed at the undeserving, the people who haven't earned it, who haven't even sought it. They are the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. Our faith tells us that we ourselves are the undeserving recipients of mercy. For as it says in Romans, But God proves God's love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we rebelled, when we wandered, when we strayed from God's ways, when we chased after false gods and idols, God sent Jesus to come among us so that we might see and touch and know God's love, so that we could see and tell and retell The stories of how God taught, forgave, healed, and pointed us to a better way. God showed us mercy in sending us Jesus, and having received such mercy, having been so loved, we can offer that love and mercy to others because we know the difference that it has made for us. We are people like Joseph's brothers who know what it is like to be loved even though we did not deserve it. And we realize that it is not about deserving at all, but about the relentless love of God that seeks us out in all of our brokenness and longs to restore our hearts and minds to ourselves and to the world. When we remain rooted in this identity of God's broken yet beloved, we can become wounded healers in a world of pain. We know what it has done for us, and so we see What it could be for others. And so we pray. And so we love. And so we, however imperfectly, practice compassion, kindness, forbearance, pity, empathy, and benevolence. We hold those people with whom we struggle in our prayers, knowing that if God could do for us, then God can certainly do for them. Believing in all of this, that in our healing and theirs lies the hope for the world. Amen.